Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And of course, that music means that Robert, we're here still, still in, in France. Yeah, little right. France. How beautiful it is here on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. Welcome to the luxurious French corner booth of Wrap, the Catholic Cafe. Wrapping up our fifth pilgrimage to Lourdes. We still have Cafe. a couple of more shows we're going to do, we but do. this is we're getting towards the end there. But we're getting some saving from the good ones. And for the some last, serious right? topics, some really yeah. some, some tragedies going in the world, and what the order's doing about it. Huh? That's exactly right. And I think because the Order of Malta, they sponsored the show, by the way, but. But the Order of Malta is so involved in the world in so many different places. We thought we'd bring somebody who would knew, know a lot about what the Order was during, doing in the world to, to ease some of the suffering and the pain and uh, all the tragedies that people uh, experience and really to, to sort of spread the word of joy and hope to those who might feel a sense of loss of that. And talk about Nepal, right, the current tragedy. That's exactly right. Well, to, to talk about uh, this, uh, this subject, we brought... Dominique Delarouche Foucault Montbel. I don't know what I did there if I said <laughs> it right positive. or wrong. <laughs> well, it sounds quite well, I would say. <laughs> well, Your Excellency, thank you so much for being here uh, with us in the Catholic Cafe. That's the first French I think I've ever heard you speak. Yeah, yeah, well, no, uh, you know, I can say croissant. You know, I can do that, but that's as, that was that's a tough one, i got to admit. I thought I had a bad last name. Yours is a good last name, I'm sure. Uh, no, I'm sure. No, no, you're getting on quite well, and if you get along with the Cafe and a croissant, you're starting well today. That's exactly right. That's the way you start your day exactly well so your excellency we uh, as a grand hospitaller uh, for the order of malta you'd be very involved in all the especially the big tragedies of the world you would you would have sort of a bird's eye view of all the things that are going on but let's talk about nepal we've all heard that there's been a, a terrible um, earthquake there what, just for our listeners who might not know where where is nepal well nepal is maybe in the middle of nowhere but it right. is also uh, the roof of the world Wow. Because you got the Everest mountain up there, so quite a number of trekkers oh, Mount going Everest. over there, of course. Yeah, all of our listeners know Mount Everest because we all oh, talk yeah, about how so we're going to go climb over, it one yeah, day. Climbing up there, so really, really high, really high. Yeah, all the north coast of uh, Nepal is China, and the south is uh, India. And as you all know, there's been a terrible earthquake, over seven on the Richter ladder. We have earthquakes everywhere, right? I mean, and that are bad, but yeah, it but seems like in the third world they're a lot worse. Is that because of building codes? Or is well, I don't know if they're worse, but the consequences are worse because uh, usually, uh, of course, the buildings aren't the same that we know at home, right. you know, these strong, solid buildings. Um, they're more traditional buildings, uh, but that's the only thing they have. And so very quickly, even on a weaker uh, earthquake, uh, a valley can be just shattered, and uh, the cities in, in that valley will just disappear. Uh, earth sliding uh, over watered uh, areas, so flooded areas, and uh, the high poverty and the difficulty of transportation, difficulty of infrastructures, mm. is so high as this gets very quickly, very quickly out of hand. And your excellency, do the people die? Because what is, I know, of course, obviously, there's a time, do we know how many people have died in Nepal? And, and is that caused by the roof collapsing, or is it caused by food shortages? Or What, what causes 
I mean, obviously, there's devastation from the the roofs, the roofs, and the buildings collapsing. And is that the main cause of, of death and, and destruction, or is there? Is it, well, I could say there's destruction, destructions of the infrastructures, the houses, and all that. But there's also landsliding. You've got a whole block of mountains just toppling down in a valley. We've had, they've had the biggest uh, cracks of um, all these icy parts on the top of the of, of the roof of the world, which have just slid down. So it's masses of Tons and tons on a height of maybe 100 or 200 meters high. That is uh, something like 600 feet high so getting like on your head. Like avalanches or so whatever. So it's like avalanches too. You know, you get all this mixture. And what's terrible is that there's very little infrastructure. Now, at Kampandu, you must recognize, you must get into mind there's a small airport. Which Shor- Kampandu? Is that Nepal? That's Nepal. That's the capital okay. of Nepal, Kathmandu. It's called TMA. That's the international word of the, right. of the country. Kathmandu, which is known for those who used to puff and smoke in the 70s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kathmandu, okay. that was a wonderful world. Um, well, it's a short track. Only eight planes can land. Now, so you imagine... It's, yes. it's a smaller airport. It's, again, it's a teeny-weeny for the, for the states. Kind of like, like, like or a Lourdes. More like a Lourdes kind yeah, of But Lourdes is huge compared. You can yeah. land at Lourdes. You can at Tab Lourdes. You yeah. can put about 60 planes. Oh. You imagine wow. eight planes. And when they're landed, they can't take off. So you have to wait. That one is finished emptying or the transport or the people to take off. Then another plane can come in. Now, there's another reason also. Is all that, you're at uh, something like uh, 15,000 feet, yep. where you have shelters, houses, homes, f- villages. You can't just bring up modern equipment. Uh, just 15, that's like climbing a mountain to get equipment be, there. You can't bring them up with normal helicopters. They have to be checked so they can fly in rare hair system. Rare hair? There's no oxygen. So all the medical equipment has to be adapted to high mountain countries. So all the you're actually everything which we are doing now, or those who are involved or committed to try and help these people, are in a situation where modern technology that you could use at home uh, to facilitate after some drama, road accident or something, you can't use it up there. So these you can't villi- challenge planes, you can't have helicopters, you've got no more roads, you've got no more electricity, you've got no more telephone. And these villages are all high up in the mountains. So they're they're all high up, and that's why the casualties are going up every day. On the first day, we were something like 500 dead. We're over 7,000. Now, when you know that when you say one dead, that means four wounded, you must imagine... We're getting up to 30,000 wounded. And they have no hospitals or anything anymore, right? They've been leveled. Well, everything's been bashed. How many people live in that area that could be affected? I mean, are we talking about 100,000 people, 50,000 people? No, 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 I would say over a million, easily. That are affected Affected, by the earthquake? Of course, of course. And and in some areas, we don't have any news yet. And it's had occurred already some time ago. But fortunately, fortunately... International help is arriving. Uh, the Order of Malta, through its relief corps, which is scattered around the world, had a good, very good uh, positioning when there was a tsunami. This was quite a number of years ago. Right. And since we've been on all these areas like Haiti, Honduras, uh, Philippines, and the typhoon uh, Yohanda in 2009... Right. Uh, it happens that in Kathmandu was one of our agencies 
working on WASH programs. WASH programs is water, sanitation, hygiene. These are programs that we're running throughout the world on emergency and on rehabilitation programs. So this relief corps of the, of, of the Order of Malta had an agent in Kathmandu. So straight away, we were aware of what was happening. Mm. And now we have a team ready there. Uh, a doctor left Germany. Another doctor left Bangkok on holiday. Two other agents were in the area having holidays. They all got to Kathmandu. And what do they How do they when they get them? there? I mean, they, they, they show up, and certainly they're not going to individually save the country, but, the, but you're, they're going to start to strategically align whatever resources they can exactly, get? Exactly. Well, we're going to be on the field, medical field, medical field and sanitation field. Right. Um, they are going to be a basis uh, group, a base of five people, medical uh, professionals, uh, first, they have to be known that they're there. Right. So this is the relation that you get with the local government. And then, having someone already there to begin with. That helps. That makes well, a big that helps. deal. Yeah. Uh, three, three, four days ago, I was just getting some notice on, on a newspaper where they were saying, well, some agencies couldn't get there, but they were saying that the order of water was already there. Right. That's thanks because throughout the world, in these dangerous areas, we have agencies. So uh, it can be just a professional who's there. And so he can be an alert. This is very useful when we are already in the country on long-term rehabilitation programs. Right. As the WASH program I just spoke about before. And so we are known by the local authorities. Then we can do a and job. And merge. Right? Yeah, we're trusted. We're known. Uh, we can merge with a local uh, agency. So we put up a team much more stronger. That we will, And in that team we'll be the leaders. So that we are deciding what we can do how we can do it, and why we're doing it. You mustn't forget the Order of Malta is a Catholic international institution. Okay, it's sovereign, it has a lot of elements attractive. But first, it's a Catholic institution of the Roman Catholic Church. So when we work, we have to work in a, let's say, in a framework mm -hmm. which answers to quite a number of requirements as being Catholics, even if we are there in a Hindu country right. or if we're in a Muslim country and so on. We are there at the Catholic institution among the, all the other organizations. It's a huge, mostly lay, so we have this specificity, and that is why we want to run our own business because we have to provide some requirements to the teaching of the church, for example, and the way how we're doing it. Remember, we must always remember the, the fundamentals of the order. In Latin, it's tuidu fidi and it's obsequio proprio. That means the defense of the faith for the one and the care of the poor and the sick. It's not one or the other. It's the both. two are whole. The two are whole. And so this is the way how we have to work. So we are known. We're known in the world. We're not just going with our pocket money. We'll be working with international agencies like ECHO, like Oshawa, or UN agencies, uh, which will provide, of course, f uh, financial facilities. And we might be there for one year, two years, three years, because the emergency is today. First, we have to qualify what we're seeing, find out how we're going to deal with it, and then how long it's going to take so that these people have a normal life. 
Now, that's going to lead us to a lot more questions. That's what we're going to get into is, like, what are you guys going to do, and what do you think the strategy might be for a place like Nepal? Uh, before we do that, we're going to take a little break. I uh, want folks to know uh, that we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Uh, send me uh, an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. How do we determine that we are following God's will? Perhaps if it is virtuous, then God wants us to do it. But if it is a pious, good, and virtuous act, is that enough to tell us that God has willed it to be done, and it is what He wants for us? This can get tricky. But St. Ignatius of Loyola can help. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish saint born in the late 15th century who became the principal founder and the first superior general of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius devised a simple test for determining God's will in our lives. He tells us that we must look at the fruits of what we are doing. That will tell us whether or not God willed it to be done. If it has good fruits peace, harmony, and happiness, then it is more likely that we are following the will of God. If it has bad fruits, discord, pain, and disharmony, then it is more likely that we are not properly discerning God's will in our lives. A man wakes at 4 a.m. every day and spends four hours in prayer, which would ordinarily be viewed as a virtuous act. But if he is married, he may encounter a wife who becomes angered by the fact that he is no longer helping her get the household ready for the day, making breakfast and bathing and dressing the children. St. Ignatius would tell us that because of the bad fruits of his morning ritual, the upset wife, the disharmony in the household, the man might be being influenced by the evil one, Satan, who often comes to us in the guise of light. St. Ignatius would suggest that if the same man prayed the same amount, but at times of the day more in accord with his family's schedule, the fruits might very well include a more harmonious household and a happier wife. Thus, St. Ignatius would tell us that this was truly following the will of God. So often in our daily lives, we need affirmation that the road we have chosen was indeed the one that God had intended us to take. While the world may tell us one thing about the choices we make, the fruits of those choices cannot lie. We need only to take the time to examine our actions and their results to determine if God was truly served in carrying them out. Because of his life dedicated to the good fruits of a faith-filled life in Christ, St. Ignatius was canonized a saint in the year 1622. His feast day is July 31st. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. It's kind of a sad corner booth now as we're kind of talking about the, the devastation, Robert, in, uh, in Nepal. When you think about avalanches just destroying villages, just total villages. Just wiping them off the map to, or, or, or concentrating them into a center of And being you know. in a place you couldn't be. I mean, Deacon Jeff, can you think about if your house was crushed? I mean, things like your the toilets and bathrooms and where would you get fruit, clean water? And I mean, just the, and everybody's in the same situation. It's not like you can go next door for right. help. 
and you can you know, and you're fifteen thousand feet in the air, so it's not like easy access. On, on a, I know exactly. Well, you need a yak or something. I we're, guess we're we're talking to Dominique de la Roche Focal Montbel. I'm so sorry again. I apologize for the pronunciation. It's twice in a row. It's getting better and better. Well, uh, Your Excellency, we'll just call you. That'll be easier for us. Um, so, as the Grand Hospitaller for the Order of Malta, you guys got tabs in there. You 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 had mentioned earlier. You had started talking about your Catholic faith or the or the the, the faith of the order. Right, and uh, and I know that's important to the order, um, but speak a little bit about how, you, when you're as a as a Catholic order, to go into a country that is predominantly not Catholic. Obviously, Nepal, uh, is, Nepal not Catholic, is not yeah. Catholic, right? So you go in there, and do you meet much resistance because of uh, the Catholicism, or uh, do you find it strengthens you? Does it guide you? How, how is the the relationship of of the faith to uh, the the works for the the sick and the poor? Uh, and to um, uh, for day that we spoke of before. Well, I think for the sick and the poor, first they need care. Yeah. Um, our Catholic faith is some strength for us because um, it's it's living our faith. What have you done with your faith if you haven't right. done any charity? That's the word we use in France. Mm-hmm. In English, I think they use the word love. Oh yes. Uh, but in France, we have the two words in French. Uh, so. We are doers. We are putting our faith on the tip of our fingers. Right. And we don't only do for the Catholics, right? We don't only do do for for everybody. I I think that the Lord, when he came, he didn't come and see the Catholics. (laughs) Uh, He saw everybody. He saw everybody. And even if you read the Bible, they speak about the Jew. They speak of the non-Jews. Right. The Samaritans. The Samaritans, for example. And so, uh, well, there we are. The world hasn't changed much. Right. We take care. We take care of people. We don't care the color, the, the, or the origins, the ethics, uh, the beliefs. No, no, we take care. Take care of their souls, you take care of their heart, you take care of their body. Of course, sometimes we might find in areas where there are dramatic situations. Right. I would say like in Middle East, uh, not in Palestine or countries in which we've been for a long time or in Lebanon where there's a a huge acceptance of difference of religions and they all live together. But where there's a crisis, Iraq, Syria, there might be a bit tough. I remember a few years ago, I was on a first aid unit uh, service at uh, the Bourget. It was for a Muslim organization. And uh, somebody didn't feel too well and he fainted. And when he woke up, he found he was uh, surrounded by four volunteers wearing the cross of mortar on their jackets. Right. And so I think he was a bit shaken at the beginning, and then when he was assured that we weren't going to get rid of him, maybe he thought he woke up in heaven. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know, but he I think it finished, it finished well. But it was a bit of a surprise at the beginning. Yeah. It was a bit of a surprise. Uh, no, no, I, I, I've never met um, uh, some re- real resistance. What we have to be is not by our faith that we're going to succeed. It's part of it. We have to be professionals. We have to be better than even lay people who believe in nothing. Because we are coming with, as you were saying, with some principles. These principles of the, of the Catholic faith. There's a teaching of the church. The Holy Father has asked us to be on the borders, all of us to be on the borders. It's not to bring in the sheep that we know. We've got to bring in the others in it. Mm, amen. Uh, so we're on medical care. We are on emergency care. We're on the borderline. We'll always be on the borderline. But our main issue is to save lives. Right. 
and that's you're, how many and you're, you're, you're sometimes the first, the first ones in, the first ones there sometimes. Sometimes we're the first one there. We're, we're quite known now even by professionals, by international entities. Okay, in the public we're less known, um, but I think we've become quite skilled right. and quite professional. Well, how big of a team would we have coming into Nepal? I mean, do we know or we have any ideas on what we're what our what is the order of Malta's plan to play a role in alleviating, alleviating human suffering there? Well, I think there are different levels. First, you have to have the first group, which is a group of evaluation. As we're going to be on a basis of medical care, why medical care first? Because you've got the first wounded. This right. is because of the avalanches. It's you've got a, your house, your, your the roof collapses. on the head, right. the collapse. So you've got injuries. That's the first part, which is a really short part. Then you have the post-emergency injuries. These are when you're trying to repair, hmm. trying to save somebody who's under the stones. Right. Then you break your leg, you have your hand crushed. Then you catch up diseases because you've got no fresh water, you don't know, no pure water, you have no, no medical sewage. care, right. no sewage. Cattle has been killed. The meat is bad. Then you get into what we call post-traumatic injuries, which is another case. So that brings, at the same time that you're doing emergency on medical care, at the same time, you have to provide equipment so you can do a good care. Now, good equipment means, first, water. Right. Water's After always water, the thing that's yeah. hardest to find. Right. It's water, water, and the water has to be clean. And what's terrible when there are floods, and the tsunami was terrible, the tsunami, is because all the cattle died, and they stayed in the fields, in the water. Oh. So you can't use the world anymore. Because the bacteria builds up. Bacteria, yes. You can't use the wells because the wells have been flooded. So the fresh water, which was on the bottom of the well, uh, the well is now completely spoilt by polluted water flowing to the well. So how do you... So you, you see, it's, it's, it's difficult. You've got to I gotta recognize, tell you, 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 you know? You're sitting here with a, 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 you know, not a smile on your face, but you seem confident that... Okay. You seem you have a sense of hope. And I look at this and go... I would I would step into that onto that into that country and go. There's just no, you can't you can't fix this, but but you've got a whole different sense. Oh yes, oh yes. It's it's very professionally done. The country will be cut into little squares. Every agency will have a square, an area. We try to find very often very remote cities or villages. We go far out. Uh, there first, we're going to try and find who's in charge. Right. Uh, see if there's still some local authorities. How we organize things. I remember. We were holding a camp years and years in Kuvu in Africa. Uh, one of the first jobs which was picked up by one of our um, senior officers was to find where, if there were some teachers. Well, mm. There's no water, there's no doctor, why are you looking for teachers? Well, with teachers we could cope with uh, 4,000 children running around oh, so yeah. they could have a bit of schooling. So mm. you see all these things the you don't think about it, you know, yeah, exactly. it comes up. So we'll be in this remote area. We'll try and find first water. When we've got the water, we can see where they are about the casualties, what they can repair, what can be provided. Then we'll start up programs of rebuilding, reorganizing social life. And that further on, we'll be on a rehabilitation program, maybe for the five following years. When, of course, the news, the journalists, the TVs, another hot spot in the world, and that one will be forgotten.
But I got to tell you, the thing I like the most is the fact that that you're giving not only the people a, a sense of uh, security and maybe a, a stability and health and and sort of building back the, their physical bodies, but to give them that sense of spiritual hope, the idea that there is a God that loves them, that cares for them, and would send uh, the Order of Malta, whether they understand Catholicism or anything else, but they understand that they're loved and they're cared for. I think it's so powerful, and that sense of hope that you give uh, to that country is so is, is so desperately needed. Uh, and I think that's an awesome part of it. And do you do you sense that when you start to work in some of these countries that they feel like a sense of hope at some point? Well, I would say if it's not hope, at least it's a future. And uh, things haven't stopped. Um, in 2009, we were in the Philippines. Uh, there also for emergency and then rehabilitation on the island of Cebu, which is on the east coast, after the typhoon Yolanda, who killed thousands of people. Uh, not only we put up a program, water, sanitation, hygiene... But we put up programs of prevention. What to do when a typhoon is announced? To stop it from happening again. If it, 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 we won't stop the typhoon. Right. But we might reduce casualties because they will have a, a the, good moving, the good move to do and not just get you know, hidden behind a tree. They'll right. be prepared. The other thing. They'll be prepared. Better prepared, yeah. And on the typhoon last December, I think there were 29 casualties. But at the same time, also, we were one of those who started building them houses. And in that area, we built 700 houses for families uh, with them, you know, putting up this program, which was quite an expensive program. But what was wonderful was to notice that when this typhoon came in, so five years after, six years after, nearly, well, these houses weren't destroyed. Because they were built properly. They were, they were built properly. So you see the trust we have now of these local population. And the trust is even getting a bit awkward, I would say, today, because we have other agencies building other houses, well-known agencies throughout the world. Now, these people don't want to go into their houses because their houses were destroyed in December. <laughs> right. They all want our houses. So we've got massive people, and we're only building in the program. I think there's still 152 houses or 53 houses to build. But they all want one like that. So we're going to try, maybe try and teach them how to build them themselves. But that's starting something. And that's what's so beautiful yeah, is yeah. maybe where they didn't have something before, now they do have something that they can look forward to. Well, a chap who had his house came over and, okay, telling us thank you. All the village was there and all the children, let's say from uh, four feet high to two feet high, um, they all had a letter on uh, their chest. Thank you for helping us. And the little girl, which was the S of the us, her father was there and he told me, well, you know, I've just got married. That's my first child. And I also, in the same year, had my first house. How beautiful. What a beautiful um, story. Now, see, that's hope, right? That's hope. That's, yeah, ho that's, that's hope. Sure. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Your Excellency, for just opening our eyes a little bit and our ears about how wonderful the, the, the order is doing in, in the world today and how desperately needed that is. Well, Beautiful. thank you Thanks very for much for inviting me. Well, let's, uh, let's end. We're here in Lourdes and ask for Our Lady's intercession for all the people in Nepal, the people in the world who need help, and for the works of the order. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>